This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 332. As legitimately as I can say it, I started helping people regardless of what the outcome was for me. And it's crazy because we bought more houses and made more money. And we helped a lot of people in the process. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, David Green. David Green, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, buddy. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great. I just got back from hanging out with you in Hawaii. I got a nice tan that going on. I'm refreshed. Well, Good. You have a, you have a great, uh, what, what's the word? Farmer's tan. You had that, you had a nice looking, uh, I took that picture. Remember I won't show anybody. It's pretty great. Though. Yeah. It looks like you're little... wearing a white tank top with it when I have no shirt. On. It's bad. <laughs> no, I think you, you smoothed that out the last day. It was good. No, we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. Went to a luau together. Actually, Kevin, who's our producer here, Kevin's actually on the call with us right now, but he always hides his face, but Kevin's here. Uh, Kevin was out. So was Jake. He's our new uh, head of pro at Bigger Pockets. He was out there. And then of course, Ryan Murdoch and the five of us went to a luau together, which was actually a, a ton of fun. So yeah, it was it was great. So thank you for coming out. That's why we love real estate, because you can work from anywhere in the country. And Hawaii is not a bad place to work from. It is not a bad place to work from. So, yeah, we had some uh, good time masterminding on the future of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Got some new technology, got some new microphones. Oh, and we made a video. And, uh, when are we dropping and that? And we made it. Uh, we, I don't know, soon. I don't okay. know if it, maybe it's out, maybe it's not. Anyway, lots of good video content. Uh, we're pumping out a lot of stuff. So check that out, of course, over on the Bigger Pockets YouTube page and subscribe there. But that is actually not our quick tip today. So now it's time for our quick tip. tip. All right. So today's quick tip is if you are a landlord, if you are somebody that owns even one rental property, Bigger Pockets actually has a page on the site dedicated to help you with some different resources. So just go to the tools, like on the navigation bar on Bigger Pockets, go to tools, drop down to landlord resources, and you'll find uh, links to different resources that can help you, different companies. Uh, we have some partnerships with different people, uh, tenant screening, uh, property management software, stuff like that. So again, Check it out. There's also an ultimate tenant screening guide that I wrote a few years back. We put that on there as well. Uh, so again, if you're a landlord, check that out. We just want to make life a little bit easier for you, landlord. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. And finally, lastly, before we get to today's show, David, I just want to let you know something. I had a great time with you out here in Hawaii, so thank you for joining me. I wanted you to know I appreciate you, dude. Thank you, Brandon. The feeling is mutual, and we would like to bring more people into this awesome circle that we've been able to build of using real estate to fuel a perfect life. <laughs> perfect life. I don't know if I call it that, but we're, we're working there. All right, dude. Well, thank you, and I guess that's all I got, so... Make sure you guys rate and review this show, the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Make sure you're listening to the Money Show, the Business Show, and hanging out on our social media channels. So, without further ado, I want to bring in today's guest. So, today's guests are Adam Johnson and Brent Marino, two dudes that are just really crushing it down in Mississippi with their real estate. They've done almost, what was it, 60 some deals last year on track for 100 deals this year. Their systems are just phenomenal. You guys are gonna be blown away by the way that they use things like text messages to get deals uh, kind of automatically. Uh, they talk about why you might not want to look like a big deal when you're going to meet with uh, sellers. Uh, they got some really cool tips. If you're a landlord, some really cool tips on making sure your tenants pay on time, do some of their own maintenance and change their furnace filters, which is cool. And then listen closely for when they talk about the three foot rule. The three foot rule could completely change your real estate investing forever. I'm not even kidding. It's really, really cool. So definitely check that out. Stay till the end because you guys are gonna love that this show just builds more and more and more just meat and value. I think you'll love it. So Take some notes, and with that, it's time to get to today's show. Fellas, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Man, so good to have you guys here today. Man, we're excited to be here. Pretty pumped. 
Good, good. We haven't done a two a two for show in a little while, so uh, we decided to bring on two completely strangers to each other. And for, you know, you guys are partners, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 All right. So we're gonna go through how you were able to find each other, how you able to work together, what you're doing. I hear there's some pretty fun stuff in there, and uh, we'll start though prior to that. What did each of you guys do? And go ahead and like when, but when you, the first couple of times you talk, if you think about it, say who you are. So people kind of get an idea of what your voices are compared to who your name is. And then uh, let us know like kind of what your story is before real estate. Go ahead. So uh, this is Adam. Uh, some people call me Big Sip. So <laughs> is that real? That's a, that's a true story. <laughs> okay. Big Sip. Um, I like it. Which, which the funny thing is, is, you know, it's Mississippi. So big sip. It just makes sense. And Oh, I thought you took like a really big drink of like sweet tea <laughs> or something. No. Well, you're and, kinda, and it stuck. You're, you're close <laughs> to what my mother thought, um, which nice. was the first time she heard it. She goes, have you been drinking alcohol again? Like, <laughs> drink alcohol. <laughs> so I, apparently there's a lot of confusion there, but it is just because I'm from Mississippi and I used to be a much bigger fella. Oh, all right. So <laughs> I've been doing real estate 16 and a half years now. I think the first one was October 11th of 2002. And I would have been 19 and some change. Done a lot of other stuff in the meantime, some tax offices, insurance offices and other things. But real estate's just always been right there at the forefront. And it's something that I've always enjoyed the most. Because you're not a female and I don't feel bad asking you this. How old are you right now? Because you look like, I would say you're like 29. And if you've been doing it for 16 years, you were like a teenager. How old are you? I'll take it. I'll be turning 36 next month. Okay. All right. So you got, you got into the game early on. Yes. My, I was uh, very fortunate the way I grew up. My dad's been doing this for 45 years. Okay. That's cool. All right. So you, you were kind of bored into it. What about, uh, what about you, Brent? Yeah, I'm Brent, everybody. I was not born into it. I grew up on a small little family farm in Leakesville, Mississippi. I always tell everyone it's the only place you don't go through to get to somewhere else. Nice. So I grew up there, always kind of had aspirations to do kind of big things, to always do my own thing. Went to college, played baseball, messed my back up. Said, Screw this. I want to do music, not play music or anything. I just wanted to work for a record label, moved to Chicago, started working for a guitar center, doing like pro audio stuff. And then just, you know, uh, started touring. And then I found out that these companies were hiring people like me who had touring experience to do experiential marketing. And what that is, basically, is major brands. If you've ever been to a music festival or a sporting event, the booths that are set up outside for like free giveaway stuff, brand recognition type stuff. I did that for 11 and a half years. Spent a lot of time on the road, traveled all over the country, 49 states, six countries doing marketing stuff. And so I did that for a while. Got tired of being on the road, was planning on getting married, found Max. Max and I actually met each other while we were out doing marketing gigs. We became good friends because we had the same mindset. That's Max Maxwell, by the way. Saw he had posted an Instagram photo of a house he bought for 17 grand. Always had a curiosity about real estate. And I was like, I always thought you had to have money, a lot of money. And I called him up. I said, hey, next time you find a house like that, 17 grand, let me know. I'll be in. I'll buy it. We can go in together, partner on it. He's like, it'd be easier to show you what I'm doing. So I... I go over to his office next time I'm home in Winston-Salem. We sit down. He had just gotten started. He's like, I've been doing this for two months. And I've been making you know 20 grand every month. And I was kind of like uh, the kid in Wolf of Wall Street. Like, you show yeah. me a check for 20 grand. I'm quitting my job right now. And he's like, no, I'll tell you, it's wholesaling. I'd never heard of it. So I call Adam. I knew I knew him Adam for probably about four or five years in. 
And uh, I called Adam and I was like, hey, have you ever heard of wholesaling? He goes, oh, yeah, I do it all the time. I was like, well, why you never told me about this? <laughs> you knew I had a, a business mindset. Like I wanted to open a business. I wanted to do my own thing. I've always wanted to, always wanted to kind of be involved in real estate. So that's what kind of got me into it. And then when I moved back from South Carolina to Mississippi, it just made sense. All right. So let, let me break here real quick because I want to make sure that those listening, we haven't actually talked about wholesaling very often lately on the podcast. We used to talk about it a lot more than we do lately. Uh, can you, one of you describe what exactly what do you mean by wholesaling? And then people are listening to wait, wait, 20 grand a month. Like, how is that possible? Can somebody walk me through? What do you mean when we say wholesaling? Uh, so basically what it is, so we do a little bit of everything. We do wholesaling, we do flips, we do buy and holds. And what we try to do is focus on the acquisition side, but the ones that we get creatively will typically keep for rentals. The ones that we cherry pick out will keep for our flip deals. And then the wholesale ones are basically where we know we've got a deal on it. We just don't want to fool with it. So we pass that along to another investor for a much smaller fee. Okay. So essentially wholesaling is this finding an opportunity, property, getting at a discount, putting that property under contract, and then you're not selling the property, you're selling that piece of paper for an assignment fee. So you're assigning that your your interest in that property to an investor who pays you, you know, anywhere. I think our average is around eight thousand here in Mississippi. Okay. And you never own the property. You never, or do you guys, I mean, I guess it's getting into the weeds a little bit, but do you double close? Do you do a sign? How do you typically do a, because there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. Most of the time, 90% of the time it's assignment. assignment. Okay. If it's a high amount of money, if it's a large amount of money and we've never worked with that buyer before, we'll probably double close it. Okay. Let me jump in real quick. Remember, Brandon, when we were in Hawaii, we were talking about how we think we own our phones, but we don't really own our phone. We own the right to yeah. use our phones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is very similar to that. When you're getting a deal from a wholesaler, you're buying the right to buy the property at terms that they've already established for you. Like it's kind of like hiring a professional negotiator that goes in there and gets you a really good deal on a house and then they get a cut because they negotiated, which isn't different than how we do a lot of other things in life. When you're a professional athlete, you have an agent who negotiates your salary for the team with you or a musician, you have someone who negotiates your contract. Real estate investing is the same way. And I know a lot of people get hung up. They think wholesaling is dishonest or immoral or something like that, but it's it's not. It's the same thing that we do with a lot of other things in life. There are some states that have rules that say you can't do it or you can only do it certain ways. So they have to operate within those structures. But yeah. it's really not different than anything else that we do in life. Yeah, right. that's exactly right. All right. So let's go back to your story. So you guys, first of all, how did you guys originally meet like four or five years earlier? So I had a, at one point in time, I moved back to Mississippi, was living in a house with an old friend of mine who we played baseball together with in high school. And he was actually dating my best friend's sister at the time. And so he would come over every now and then when I was home, we'd, we'd get together and I, he, he told me he owned all these businesses, H&R Blocks and tax offices and stuff like that. And I was like, well, he's a fairly successful guy. He knows a little bit about business. So we, you know, we hung out, had a lot of good fun times together, became really close friends. That relationship obviously ended, but ours did not. We kept in touch. As soon as I found out about real estate and wholesaling, I called him and he suggested that I read a book, which was Flipping Properties version two. I forget who it was written by. It's not like the greatest, most detailed book in the world, but it was like four bucks on Amazon. But that was his test to gauge how interested I was. So I read it in like two days and I came back and I had a bunch of questions. And he's like, okay, this guy's serious. And then I took it another step farther. Once I started, because I had a really good job. I was making close to six figures with my, my, my job that I was working. So I was taking all the money I was making in wholesaling, 
putting it back into systems and marketing. Yeah, that's how we met. And we met that way. And then whenever I moved back to Mississippi, we quickly realized it would just make more sense to be partners versus working against each other. Okay. So I, I think we, I think we can probably move to partnerships then at this point. Cause this is something that I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I love partnerships in real estate. Now I'm not saying they always work out great, but especially when you get started, if you like, you don't have everything you need. You might not have the money. You might not have the knowledge. You might not have the experience. You might not have whatever. Right. But you probably have something like two or three of those things that you could bring to the table. And then a partner can bring the other things and you can work together. Did you guys find that you have complimentary skills or one of you good at something, something, something else, or were you both good at the same things? We very, were very much so. We uh, were laser cut pieces of a puzzle. Okay. Very, very different in our skill sets and what we bring. I mean, I guess with any partnership, you've got to have the same core driving principles and values, which we both want to get to the same spot. So I think that's very, very important. But we're drastically different in what we bring to the table, what we enjoy. Brent's actually a little more introverted very phenomenal when it comes to anything tech related and how to do things on a big scale. I'm the guy that, you know, put me in somebody's living room. If there's a deal to be had, I'll get it. But I nice. still use the AOL email address. <laughs> he, not, look, he didn't have internet in his, at his house. So what, like August of 2017. Wow. And was still wow. knocking down like 40 deals a year. But wow. That, that's, that's impressive. I mean, and it's, it's cool to see that the partnership work in this way and that like one of you, you know, is a little more introverted. One of you, I think you said, uh, Brent, you were a little more tech focused. Uh, you're kind of that side of things. Uh, Adam, you do a lot more of the, Hey, I'm going to get the deal. I'm going to work these systems. I'm guessing are you both systems people or one of you feel stronger in that? I would say I'm more of a systems person, uh, okay. mainly because of Definitely. most of the systems that we have now are all, you know, online and, you know, you have your podios and stuff like that. So I've been working on him for several months. And when I came in, for me, the way I had things structured in South Carolina before I moved, I had an acquisitions manager, I had a cold caller, all that stuff. I enjoy the fact that if I'm not there, business is still running. Whereas with him, he still very much enjoys going out and doing appointments and taking phone calls and stuff. I was like, look, I'm going to make it. The phones ring so much to where you can't handle it anymore. So it took about three or four months of me just you know, tweaking a few things, doing some Facebook ads, sending out a few few more mailers and stuff like that before, before he finally realized that I can't take the phones anymore. So we hired a lead manager. So we're slowly kind of scaling to the point because my goal is, I tell everybody like, what? why are you so systems-based? It's like, well, to be completely honest, I hate working. Like, <laughs> I, love, I love real estate. I love what it can do for you, but I love what systems can do for you as well. And if I'm gone and he's gone, I want the business to still be running. I wouldn't say that you hate working. I think you hate to be obligated to work. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. I think that's because, I mean, I think we both love working. I, I mean, I can't tell you a lot of times we're at 40 hours by Wednesday at lunchtime. Yep. But it's nice knowing that you don't have to all the time. I know somebody just like that. He lives in Hawaii. He's brilliant, <laughs> but uh, he cannot be tied down. I don't know who you're talking about. Whatever. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> is, no, I was that is the thing. Not system. wanting, yeah, not wanting, not being required to work. That's the thing. Yeah, like, that makes it completely yeah. different. Yeah. S systems to me are, they take your normal skills, the things you can do, and they amplify them incredibly, right? 
it's like uh, Tony Stark's armor. That's what makes him Iron Man. Those are your systems. You have it in your brain. You know what to do. You have the plans, but you can't actually execute it. The system is what superpowers you so that every idea you have or plan you have can be put in place and can be working for you. And your normal potential is like 10x. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the, the goal. And what we've seen in the last two weeks or so with our new lead manager is that she's coming in and she's actually doing a lot of this investor PO. She's actually doing a lot of my notes and setting all my appointments for me. And even on the back end, like she's, uh, I'll come in, I'll be like, Hey, Mark, this is this. And we're making an offer of this on this property. And she's been taking care of it all, but that's exactly right. So that I can just go from living room to living room to living room. Uh, I, lo- I love that. And, and that's really like the core of what you're doing here is getting other people now involved who can do all those tasks. So you can do what your superpower is, which is getting me in the yeah. living room. Like that's what you're mm-hmm. really good at. So you're like, let's build out the system that makes sure that I'm consistently getting in the living room. Right now I'm building out this multifamily business, so to speak, mobile home parks and some other stuff. Anyway, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Is like, I, my, like what I'm really good at is like running the numbers on a deal and making an offer and negotiating. Like I love that part of things, right? But like, I'm not real big on the lead side of things. I'm not real big on the like, research, try, you know, the research of the, of the area and trying to figure out exactly what makes it a great area. You know, I, I, I'm going to get somebody else to do that. I just want a continual flow of awesome deals in my lap that I can go and figure out exactly how much I can pay for it and then, you know, go move on to the next one. So it's the same thing. And I know David, you do the exact same thing. David Green here is like as an agent and as an investor. I mean, David's like, I just want a good deal in my lap and I'm going to go out and go get it. Uh, or I'm going to, I want a client like an appointment set. I'm going to be in their living room, convincing them that I'm the agent to work with. Like, well, let's just work on what we're good at. It, this is like a hundred times more important than we're probably actually conveying. It's literally the difference between being successful or not. If you look <laughs> at, at why we are not successful at stuff, it's usually because it requires us to do too many things that we just don't like doing or we're not comfortable doing. Too much risk, too much un- discomfort, too much whatever. When you're a living room guy and what you know is you put me in front of that person, I will close the deal. You're a cheetah. And you see that gazelle and you want to chase that gazelle down, right? If somebody requires you to do too much stuff that's not cheetah-like, hey, hook up the plow to you and make you drag it or climb that tree and survey the area, find the gazelles or something. You're just not going to do it. And that's why Brandon was saying he loves that people partner with real estate because we don't realize how much we get in our own way and hold ourselves back. And when you get a partner who's like, oh God, I don't want to have to sit in front of someone. That sounds terrifying. What do I say? What if they don't like me? What if I sweat? Where do I put my hands, (laughs) right? At that point- (laughs) You want the guy who's kind of running interference for you and looking up the numbers, doing the research, getting you the information that you need to be successful during your job. And that's what good partnerships are. They're not just two people that split up the work. They're two people that are doing different parts of the job because they enjoy doing that and they get to focus on that. Absolutely. And that's, that's been a huge thing for us is because we're so different on the front end on what our skill sets are. So as Brent's doing his thing, that's Brent's thing. Yeah, like I might have feedback every now and then, or a couple questions, but at the end of the day, that's his de- department. And vice versa, when we're working a deal, he'll have some say so. He'll have his questions, but at the end of the day, that's my side, and it just it works really well. It takes a load off. Plus, we know that we'll get our our stuff done respectively, which is always nice. That's great. All right, so let's dive into the nitty gritty on the business. I want to know how you're finding deals, and well, let's start with how you're finding them. Then I want to move to how you're like organized your business. I mean, what CRMs are you using? How do you get those coming in there? And then we'll go to how you're funding your deals and then how you're managing your deals. Sound good? Four, four step right. process here. 
All right, number yeah, one, how are, you, how are you finding deals? Let's go through all the different ways that you guys currently attract deals to your business. And who and who's in charge of that? You know, the first thing I've got to tell you is that good deals are created, not found, right? Ooh, look at that. This guy's been listening. <laughs> I love um, that. No, so, so we have a multitude of things that we work on. We pull several lists in which I, Brent will get into the technical side of this. But so we pull everything from divorce to probate to pre-foreclosures, HOA liens, tax delinquents. Oh, water list. Water list. What, what do you mean? Dollars. Water list. What do you mean? The shutoffs. So oh. basically, the, you, you can basically uh, go to the water department as long as it's a public owned entity and request to have. So what I normally do is I word it to where I give me every property that's had water shut off in the last six months. That's had no service in the last six months. And that's a clear definition of what is vacant for sure. Uh, okay. And I want to hit. I love I, I think that's fascinating because again, you're trying to look for people who have some sort of distress there. So you pull these lists and then what do you do with them? And by the way, how are you pulling the list? So all that's coming from the courthouse. The only time we don't is we're using REI pro or, you know, prop stream or list source to pull like absentee on uh, 65 and order out of absentee out of state, all that stuff. So, but everything else is coming directly from the courthouse. We have a courthouse runner that goes down there because we're in Mississippi. We're about 10 years behind everyone. Our stuff is not available online. So we ah. have to actually physically go to the courthouse to get all that information. So the way our funnel works now is we pull those lists. We throw it into a skip tracer. We're using Sherpa, which is leadsherpa.com. Um, and then that skip tracers, skip traces everything, removes all litigators, potential litigators, and everyone from the DNC list. Then it's a text blast, but it's not a text blast in the sense of I hit the button. So it's, it's actually legal because I'm hitting the button every single time. It just merges their information into every message. And that's our first step. We hit everybody with that. And then the callbacks come back into our lead manager. She's actually handling all, all the text messages, our AMs and other markets are handling their text messages, but all the calls are coming back to our lead manager who then, you know, screens them, books the appointments. So if we don't hear back from them, they go into our cold callers list. Our cold caller then hits everyone that we did hear from, from the text messages. From there, we take all the people who said, do not call or whatever the case may be, or not, not interested in all, we'll take them off. And if we still haven't heard from you, then it goes into a mailer and then we'll mail you. So, so th- this is fascinating because we haven't, we haven't really talked about the text message thing here on the show, but I know that's very, it's a new technology and I've always almost been reluctant to talk about it because I feel like this is really cool and I don't want everybody in the world to know about this, but we're going to talk about it anyway. So mad because I knew we were going to have to break it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. But I, but it's a growing trend. So you're saying you get these lists of people that have some indication that there is a problem going on, right. then how do you get, I mean, like this, this, this program, like lead Sherpa, I think is what you said. That'll actually get their phone number. Like, how does that work? They have a tracing database or a skip tracing feature inside Sherpa. Okay. And I think the first, I'm not real familiar with, I've never logged in, but I think the first one we did, what was our response? We were, we were at 56% response rate. Wow. Yeah. Insane, right? Yeah. Typical direct mail is like 2%, 3%. I don't know. Some people get 10, but well, I, yeah. I was doing good at 18 to 22% with direct mail. And then yeah. he brought along the text messages and just blew that out of the water. What does this text say? I mean, how I want to buy your house? No, it says, uh, <laughs> so it, it says, uh, 
hi, so-and-so, whoever the name is. Hi, Charles. Apologies for the message out of the blue. Uh, I'm contacting you today regarding the property located at such and such address, which it merges all that. Um, I don't know if you have any interest in selling the property whatsoever, but if you do, you can give me a call or text back. Thanks. That's it. Wow. wow. And why do you think that works so well? Uh, people are glued to their phones and it's a lot of people who text back and says, you know, how'd you get my number? Yeah. What's, what's great about Sherpa is that it has uh if you go over to the left-hand side, it basically has a little dashboard where you can just automatic reply and it has features. So like it says, you know, how'd you get my number? And it already has automatic response. So just click on that and it sends it, which basically says we use a software that matches public records that we pull from the courthouse to match numbers to people. Do people get upset about that? Uh, sometimes. I mean, it's very rarely that they get too upset. They just want to know. Like It's kind of, it's yeah. kind of strange for them to get a random text message out of the blue, which is why we lead. Yeah. Say, hey, this is out of the blue. I apologize. We're very apologetic up front and people tend to kind of take that, that tone a little bit better than just saying, Hey, I just noticed your property at this. Are you interested in selling? Call me back. Hey, it looks like you're getting a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. That would go. And we hit everybody with the same message, no matter what motivation they're in. So if it's a foreclosure or probate or whatever it is, it's the same message every single time, even in our letters. We haven't tested it, but I feel like we've had less abrasive responses than we typically do. seems like the ones that are curious or kind of on edge about it are a little more balanced out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As opposed to some of those that give you a call and they are just... Yeah. All right. So you've got this machine that you, you're sending out these direct mail... I mean, sorry, you're sending out these text messages to people. Some of them, you get a text or call back right away and you start dealing with those and interacting with those. The ones that are like, hey, take me off your list, you take them off your list. The ones that just don't reply at all, the other half, let's say, that are not responding, or 40 some percent, you are putting them into a direct mail camp. Cold call and then direct mail or? Cold call. Yeah, it's cold call. Then cold call. Mail. And then if they don't answer or if they do. All right. And then what are you sending for direct mail? Is this postcard, letter, and what, what's kind of your gist in those? It's a letter. It, it basically just has a few bullet points. And what it says is, hey, you know, I may be interested in purchasing your property at such and such address. I'm not a realtor looking to list your home. I'm a local investor wanting to purchase it. And then, you know, it does a few bullet points, no fees, no commissions, no hassle. We buy as is. If you're interested, give us a call. Cool. And how many of these are you typically doing? I mean, total like deals that come in uh, in, in a given year or month or like what's kind of your your rate here? I don't know right now. This is, this is all fairly new. So, I mean, like the text blast has been within the last four weeks. Okay. We've that up. So we've been doing some cold calling. You would know what the response rates to those would be. So we, we're averaging about for, so we're on a triple dialer, which is Bojo sales, which means it's just dialing three numbers at one time. Whenever somebody picks up and just drops the other two and leaves a voicemail. So our cold caller was doing that. And for about every five to 600 dials, she would get anywhere from 10 to 20 contacts. And out of those 10 to 20 contacts, we'd get one to two leads every, every day. So she would call, okay. she calls anywhere from about six to 700 dials a day. Okay. And you're focusing just on Mississippi or are you going all over? Yeah, just Mississippi. Yeah. No, we're spread out over the state. We have stuff from the North end to the South end and several places in between. I think last count, we have like 14 or 15 counties that we're working. 
I mean, I just think it's fascinating. So it'll be interesting to hear like where you guys end up in the next six months to a year. But let's say prior to that, if you just started that, what were you doing for deals before? And then uh, give us an idea of your overall business right now. I mean, how many deals have you done over the past, how long you've been working together and, and what's your portfolio look like today? I think we did 63 last year. Last I checked, we're on track to do well over 100 this year. Wow. The majority of that up until Brent came along was either direct mail or selective cold calling. And what I mean by selective is it was never on a massive scale. It was just, you know, pre foreclosures, some of what I really thought were hot driving for dollars leads. A few of those I would go ahead and do a one off skip trace and call, but the vast majority was direct mail. Okay. And were you uh, then selling? I mean, like, were you wholesaling most of these? Or you, what's your kind of rate wholesale versus flip versus rental? Probably 60% wholesale. Yeah. Say 60 give or take a few percent wholesale, probably five to 10% buy and hold, maybe probably closer to 5%. And then threw some flips in there. Okay. All right. We're, Super we're, cool. There's really not a standard operating procedure when it comes to when we actually get the deals, because there's so many people that we work with that try to do so many different things and have so many different likes and, and risk exceptions, I guess would be the word for it that it's really case by case. That makes sense. And, and what makes it a case by case one way versus the other? I mean, people listening right now, I, I'm, I'm sure they love the idea of, hey, I'm going to start getting leads coming in and then I'm going to figure out what to do with them based on what they are. I mean, that's a cool idea, right? Like it, it's like uh, when you milk cows, I was watching this documentary, what was it like fed up on Netflix the other day or one of the shows anyway. And it was like talking about like dairy production, how they took all the fat out of the, out of the milk and they told everyone that skim milk was better for you which is, you know, you could argue one way or another, but all of them, they had all this fat left over and they're like, well, we just toss it. But no, why don't we just make cheese with it? And then that's why you go to the, uh, the cheese aisle now at the grocery store and it's like 500 rows of cheese because like the government just subsidizes like cheese manufacturing now because we have so much of it because we're trying to get people healthier by not eating fat. Anyway, so you got these deals coming in, this milk coming in and you're like, all right, let's separate out the fat and the, and the milk and the, we're going to make some cream cheese out of this. And I think that's fascinating. By the way, David, did you like that analogy? That's pretty good, wasn't it? I was yeah. actually feeling so much pride that Brandon has stepped up his analogy game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you got all this stuff coming in. You're figuring out what to do with it. What do you look for to say that one's going to be a rental? Earlier, you said something about creative. Can you talk about that? Our approach is drastically different. I'll, I'll try to put this in a concise answer. And then if you okay. want to expound on something, let us know. So our approach is very much different in the fact that a lot of people worry about what their exit strategy is. And a lot of people worry about how much they're going to make. We don't really do either. What we do is we go in, number one, figure out what the homeowner is trying to accomplish and try to fat, uh, or, or shape a deal or an offer around what their motivation is because that's the most likely thing to get accepted. So we put a lot of focus in on that and we don't worry about the money. I mean, we could tell you deal after deal we've done this year that we didn't make anything on. Um, We just got it done because it needed to be done. And so what we do is we come in and try to, to shape our offer around what the homeowner really wants and what they have the ability to provide. So that's kind of what we look for is the can and the will, I call it. Um, what can they do and what will they do? And then find the blend of those. And then what we do is we take whatever we, proposal we've come up with and then see which one of our buyers that will fit and then see if there's any room for us to make money. 
So actually us making money is the last part of the equation every time. Yeah, but you're a wholesaler and wholesalers are only about the money and they're all about greed and ripping people off, right? You know, I've seen that a lot, but usually those don't have any notches on their belt to say that they're wholesalers. They're trying to wholesale. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. So let's talk about that for a minute before we move on. Why is there such a negative view towards wholesalers? Like what causes that? And how do you avoid that in your business? How do you keep a good reputation? I think wholesalers get a bad rep because of the fact that most of them have the inability to take serious action, mostly on their education side, and also the ability to be consistent and know what they know. The problem is that I see a lot of is that they, it's not necessarily that they're greedy. They just want to get their first deal done and they want to get a deal done so badly that they will inflate numbers and, and throw out a really high ARV and then shoot for the moon to try to get the most amount of money as possible, which that's where a little bit of that greed comes in. We've seen it several times. Matter of fact, last week we had a deal blow up with a guy that we were trying to help blow up in his face. He had a $20,000 offer. He was trying to get 25,000. And next thing you know, that comes back and it, it blows up in his face because his buyer backs out because the, the mortgage was higher than they originally thought. There was just a lot of things that were missed when he would just, he, he could have just took that the $80,000 offer and gotten um, his money right then and there. But I feel like that, you know, education is the big one They people see, they only see the big checks. They don't see all the sweat and the hard work and the education that goes in behind it. They see a $50,000 check and they go, Oh, I can do that. Well, in Mississippi, I can buy like two or three houses for 50 grand. Yeah. Like straight up, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get those kinds of uh, kinds of checks. So one thing we see here locally is that we see a lot of people trying to get, these $20,000, $30,000 deals, they happen occasionally. They're just not every day. I've only done a handful of $20,000 wholesales ever. Yeah. When you say $20,000, are you talking about your assignment fee or are you talking about the purchase price? Yeah, the assignment fee. So, so what do you guys find works better to, to do a few deals with the high assignment fee or to do large volume with the lower one? Volume. The volume is better. Okay. Can you go into a little bit of why you think that is for someone who's thinking, Hey, I want to be a wholesaler and how they should build their business to look. Well, I'm a firm believer in spreading out risk, right? So that's, that's why like, even on our flip deals, we'll typically have two or three people putting the money in because they want to spread their risk out and they're used to working with each other. Same for us. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I think number one is keeping the mindset that you need a consistent flow. And because we're not knocking out, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollar assignment fees, sometimes we make zeros. Sometimes we make five grand. Sometimes we make 10 grand. But what that does is it really forces us to go in and make sure that we've got deal after deal after deal after deal because we don't know what they're going to make. So I think that's probably the biggest thing for me on why I like that. I, I think those are just more consistent. They're more probable. I hate, I had one deal. It would have been a, a 40 some odd thousand dollar assignment fee that was supposed to be good to go. And this is, this is kind of my second reason behind that. But I got back from Phoenix, came in, should have been closing the week after I got back and the whole thing fell apart. And, uh, and that's, that hurts a little bit. Like that yeah. can make for a pretty bad day. When you you really want this deal to close, you get emotionally wrapped up in it and then it falls yep. apart. It's not just costing you that deal, but what else are you going to miss over the next two weeks while you're beating yourself up? And so if it's an $8,000 deal, not quite a, you know, as big of a deal. 
So for somebody who wants to start like this funnel that you guys have built, what do you think is the first step they need to take? Do they need a buyer list? Do they need to build the system? Do they need to get out there and start putting stuff in contract and then from there scale up? So him and I have a, you know, there, there's a train of thought that if there's a deal there, the buyers will come, right? Which is very true. I like to focus on the other hand, as, as I tell everybody, is like, I like to go and try to meet buyers. So I'll go to the foreclosure auctions. I go to RIA meetings. Stuff like that. So this, I'm telling you from a perspective of how I got started. I wanted to immediately find buyers because I didn't want to waste time, money, and energy in areas where I didn't have, I didn't know I had people buying. So I would get really detailed with the buyers that I would meet at foreclosure auctions, ask them the questions like, you know, what's your perfect investment look like? Are you flipping? Are you buying holding? Where are you doing that at? What's your general, what's your price range look like? What kind of returns are you looking for? That way I know I can spend my money and time and energy in, in a certain area and I know what price range I need to be at and I just need to be under that. So it's a much easier process when I already know what the number the guy's going to give me. I don't have to worry about what the ARV is or anything else. I just need to know where he needs to be at on a return and then go spend my time, money, and energy in that area and get him that deal. Okay. And that comes from just knowing your market, right? Knowing what buyers want, knowing what they want to pay, kind of like what the people that are coming to you are looking for, correct? Correct. So if we looked at your business and we said, what is the one most important piece that makes this whole thing profitable? What would you say that is? I mean, I'll tell you what I think it is, is that when we walk into somebody's living room, we used to go in with the mindset of, I'm going to buy this house. And the day that that changed, it was 2016. And I forget what happened. I woke up one morning, just had one of those epiphanies. And I said, you know what? I don't care if I buy the house or not. Like legit, do not care if I buy the house. I'm going to go in and I'm going to give them everything I have to offer and help them, whatever the case is. If it's me, great. If it's not me, even better, because I got a lot to do today. So I went in and just as legitimately as I can say it, I started helping people regardless of what the outcome was for me. And it's crazy because we bought more houses and made more money. And we helped a lot of people in the process. That's really cool. So it was the mindset shift from I need to make money to I need to help this person. Yeah. Yes, man, that's such a good point. Because I find this all the time. As a real estate agent, we ran into the same problem, right? I want to help people, but I also have to make money. And you kind of got to balance this walk between bringing value to somebody, but you can't just bring value because then you could be taken advantage of. Everybody's going to want you to sell their house for free. Everybody's going to want you to go find them a buyer that's going to pay retail price. But your buyers are looking to you for the deal while the seller is looking for how, how much money can you get me? So you have to be wise enough to know how do I convert this value that I've added to somebody into something that makes money so that I can run a business so that I can be in a position to keep adding value. And I think we all start off going one way or the other too much. We're too much focused on our profit in the business or we're too much focused on adding value. And then you you get burned a couple of times and you start to realize how to find that, that middle ground. What have you guys found is your kind of like secret sauce with the combination of how you add value versus how you run your business? Was there a point where once you realize something that kind of kicked into place and you could really scale? One of the best quotes I've ever heard, actually, I heard it from his dad. I'm not sure if he got it from somewhere else, but the relief of stress is often greater than price. So a lot of times these people, like we, we don't even talk price. We don't talk numbers a lot of the times Never. until we get to like to the nitty gritty, basically, until yeah. we get to the very end. I want to know who you are, where you're from, what your family does, you know, who's your favorite sports team, whatever the case may be. I want to try to build that rapport and relationship to where you start 
telling me everything you need in life. Where are you trying to go and how can I help you get there? And then it comes to, okay, well, you know, if I can't, if I can't get a number out of them first, which is going to happen 99% of the time, they're going to give me a number because we walk in, we say, we're helpers. We're not handlers. If you give me a, a ballpark of where you need to be that you think is fair, that you think I cannot, you know, honestly make a little bit of money on this. Obviously I can't do everything for free. Where do you think we, we, we should be at? And if I can make that number work, great. If I can't, I'll give it my best shot and I'll explain why I can't and go from there. And then I'll give you some pointers on, you know, if you want to remodel your house, like what colors are, are working now, here's a good contractor to reach out to like all this stuff. Just, I want to provide as much service as possible to where at the end of the day, they don't really have a choice, but to go with me. So would you say that it's good advice for a newbie to understand as much as it feels cool to walk in there with a briefcase and a suit and sit down and, and want to be this wheeler dealer type of a person who, who's a professional and he can get stuff done. And it looks like Gordon Gecko in the movies. You're way better off to come with an approachable. We're both people. You're in a spot. I'm in a spot. Let's see if we can get those two spots to combine. Yeah. I can, I can tell you that the best approach I've ever had. So just, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a huge area of misconception. People will spend hours getting their logo where they like it. And your logo is not going to buy any houses. Yeah. But that's probably my biggest thing because until, what was it, July of last year, I upgraded my car finally because my, my Volvo I was driving, I was taking the seller to the bank on a Saturday, which happened to be my birthday. It was an hour and a half one way. And I was taken to go get him some money because we were supposed to close on Tuesday or Wednesday. And he didn't have money to pay his movers. So I said, look, it's my birthday. Let me come pick you up. We'll go to the bank. We'll make sure you've got some money. Come back. And that goes into really, truly trying to help somebody. So anyway, my car ended up, the radiator blew up and I got stranded with the seller in Slidell for a few hours. But I drove a 99 Volvo that I bought for 2,500 bucks. Before that, for about four or five years, I drove an O2 Cadillac that by the end of every day, like my last appointment of the day, could always tell when I was pulling up because my power steering fluid had leaked out. <laughs> so you get that whining yep. noise. So, I mean, like there wasn't anything tied to a fancy car. I never went in with any kind of paperwork ever. And half the time on the appointments, I'm in tennis shoes and gym shorts. And, and I do that specifically to tear that wall down because when you walk in really slick, slick people take advantage of people, right? That's the mindset especially when they're already in a bad spot. I don't want to be associated with an attorney's office, a bank. I want to seem as far from that as I possibly can. I want to, I want to be that guy that looks like they got lost in the neighborhood. Yeah. I, I believe a hundred percent in that. I drive a Toyota Camry, even though I'm selling Bay area real estate, because I don't want the person whose house I'm going to sell to see me pull up in a Lamborghini and think, Oh, so I'm paying for that Lamborghini. That's what you're telling me right now, right? Right off the bat, you've created a hill for yourself that you have to overcome to build that rapport. And you made it really, really difficult for yourself to do. You want to make it as easy for yourself as you can, as you guys have seen, which means tailoring yourself to your audience. If these are blue collar people who live blue collar lifestyles, they're going to resent if you show up really flashy, right? And the opposite can be true in some cases too. I've seen some people who are trying so hard to prove that they're not flashy, that they show up in flip flops and sandals. And the person's like, well, why should I listen to you at all if you're representing me in something more? If you'd worn a suit, they would feel like you're taking them serious. It really just comes down to the audience that you have. 
Yeah. Would it make sense to show up in a suit to the person who's losing their house and they feel like they're getting screwed and you're the one who's going to benefit from it? In that case, it might make more sense to take a much more humble approach. But I love what you guys are saying is that you'll do whatever you got to do to make the business work better. That's what this is coming down to. If I got to drive a car that leaks oil, that's what I'm going to do. If I got to show up in a, a clean but humble clothing, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what newbies need to understand. Like your guys' audience, the people that are buying from you in Mississippi are expecting a certain type of product. Like you said, you could buy three houses for 50 grand. So your business model needs to be made to reflect that. That's the stuff you're going for. You're not going to be trying to put different things under contract and make 50 grand on a wholesale deal there, as opposed to maybe the guy in Beverly Hills who's doing the same thing. Right. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your competitors are fighting for your customer's attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Can you guys walk me through how, when a lead comes in, because I'm fascinated by your guys' systems, right? So a lead comes in, 
they say, yeah, I might, you know, I don't know. I might be interested in selling or whatever. Let's say it comes in from direct mail, comes in from the text message. It doesn't matter. What happens to Can you walk me through the, the, the process? Like what CRM does, do you use? Who does what? How do you get to the closing table? So on the CRM, we use uh, IPO. It's called Investor PO. Uh, it's the reason I chose that is one, uh, the guy that built it was in a mastermind of mine and he built it with the back end all on Podio. I've built and worked inside of Podio. Most everyone I know also has the same kind of um, mindset toward Podio to where I hate it. I hate, I just, I don't like it. I don't like using it. I don't like somebody trying to teach it to somebody is like, might as well be trying to teach them French or something. Especially somebody like me. Yeah. So I, what I really liked about it is the fact that it's got its own dashboard, its own systems, its own, it's got its own SMS, follow-up text messages, you know, voice broadcasting, all that stuff that it just does automatically. So it follows up for everybody automatically. So what happens is when a lead comes in, whether it's through our website or through a phone call uh, from any of our marketing pieces that we send out, um, it goes immediately to our lead manager. She answers the phone or responds to an email, whatever the case may be, tries to get them on the phone and then starts going through the process of figuring out, you know, what their motivation is, you know, how much they're looking to get to try to get a ballpark and seeing if they're negotiable on that, on that number. And if they have some like, yeah, I can, I can go a little bit lower. I'd consider, you know, a lower offer then. Okay, great. Perfect. Then that goes to him. And then he kind of does like an extra level of qualifying before he goes on the appointment. And then once he goes on the appointment, it's then based on where they're at, what they want to do and how I can help them get there. All right. All right. So then let's, let's shift and talk about, so the deal comes in, you're moving through it. You want to buy it. You like it. Everything looks good. How are you funding it? Let's say, especially if you want to go rental property here, let's say you want to keep this as a rental because the wholesale deals, you know, that's easy to talk about how you, you know, you fund them, but let's talk, well, we, well let's actually talk about all three because I think this is important because for me, it's easy, but maybe somebody learning is like, I have no idea. How do you fund quote unquote, fund a wholesale deal. And then what's that look like for a flip for you? And what does that look like for funding for a rental property? So I guess the best way is just give you some examples of a few deals that we've just done. So for just a rental, we try to use creative terms for our buy and holds. So like, for instance, the last one that we bought for a buy and hold which was really funny because this was a lesson in me for follow-up and why it's good to have a system other than yellow note paper. So yeah, we had one, we had made an offer on a property, gosh, probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years now. And the guy owned the property free and clear. It was a rental property, which at the time was going well. A year or so later, the lead comes back to Brent through somebody he knew. Turns out it was the same guy. Brent put it all together that I had been there a year and a half before with my dad, actually. And this guy since then had a really bad experience with a tenant and had decided that maybe rental properties when it's going bad is not for him. Yep. So what we did is we went in, talked to him. We realized that, and again, it's finding that what their motivation is. So he liked the monthly income, but turns out he wasn't fit to be a landlord. So we bought it pretty much full retail, but we did it with zero down 3% for 360 months. So now we just keep it. There's no, you know, there's no bank financing. There's no inspections. There's no appraisals. None of that stuff matters because we've got it. It's $155,000 house. We paid 140 for it, but it's a cash flow machine. That's cool. Okay. So you get some creative strategies in there. So what about like the flipping? If you're going to flip a house, how do you fund that? So we've got, 
there's a, again, we get creative with those too. So it just depends if the house is free and clear, we're going to push really, really hard to have them do a short term, no interest, no payments, you know, maybe for six, eight, 10, 12 months where we don't pay them until we sell the house. So then we're just fine. We're just bringing in the money for, you know, buy and hold costs. I should have said closing costs and hold sure. costs. And then whatever the repairs are. And then we partner up. We have, um, gosh, probably eight or 10 guys that we partner with, depending on the deal, the area, how big the project is. And we'll bring their money in, but it depends on how we're getting it. So if they go in for cash, typically anywhere from a 60-40 split, one side or the other, if, if they pay cash for the house and the repairs and everything. If it's creative, so like we did one where I think they were two payments behind. We caught them up, took the note over subject two, and we did a 60-40 split our way. But it was, the I think we were in 71. And I think the guy walked away with an extra 22, uh, which he was thrilled about. That's cool. It's uh, it, it's cool. I, I, I've never actually done one of those where you partner like with the seller you were saying. I've never done something like that before. But again, the idea of like bringing in other people, if you don't have the money, maybe it means you bring in a partner and you fund it. Like they fund the deal and you do the work or you find the deal. Like again, it, a lot of this comes back to just like doing what you're really good at, what you have in front of you and getting other people to do what they're good at. And somebody, a seller comes to you and they have got the ability to hold the house for a year. Great. If they don't, you figure out another way. It's this, it's the milk and cheese analogy from earlier, right? Like you're going to figure it out one way or another. Well, and, I think, and oftentimes, you know, you're able to give the seller a little bit more money that way. Yeah. Right? We're looking at cash on cash returns. So if we're only having to put 70 versus 175 and get the same kind of returns, like, well, I can give you a little bit more money. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a really great opportunity for them. It's a great opportunity for us to get a really high cash on cash return yep. with not a lot of risk involved, especially for us when we go to private money guys, they assume all the risk of the project. Uh, we're just you know, funding the deal and we take a percentage of it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's also where a lot of newbies go wrong is, you know, you're talking about, they want to get dressed up, drive the fancy car and show up in the briefcase and, you know, straight Gordon Gecko style. Yeah. And, and the truth of it is, is that there's people out there that can do a hundred percent of everything involved in a deal by themselves, but there's not very many of them and they don't do many deals from my experience. But I think a lot of new people feel like that takes away from their pride or, or just it, it kind takes, of takes money out of their pocket. Oh, That's yeah. It takes money it. out of their pocket, yep. which wasn't going in their pocket anyway, most of the time. But I, I think people forget that investing is very much a team sport. Yep. Very much so. And, you know, I've said it before. I've said it a hundred times before, like a hundred percent, you know, 50 percent of a great deal is better than a hundred percent of no deal. So when you're especially when you're first getting in the game, like. The first few deals don't even matter at all. Like who cares if you make any money, like get the knowledge, get the experience, start building your reputation, start moving that way. Uh, so yeah, anyway, fantastic. And then third, if you're at a wholesale deal, you typically don't need the money, right? Because you just show up at, you know, the title company, like you're not using anybody's money, right? You're getting a property into contract, you're selling the contract and the person who buys it is the one that ends up funding the, their own deal. You're not funding it. Is that basically how you guys do that? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's what right. double closes actually. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Really, really good. Okay. Last question is how do you, before we move on to the deep dive, well, maybe I got two more. How do you manage your portfolio right now? Do you have in-house property management, outhouse property management? I love that phrase. Or, or how do you deal with that? Actually, we have what's called a Leon. Leon. All right. Uh, 
That's actually my dad. He's a, he's a 20% partner in what we're doing. Okay. Kind of a consulting, like I said, he's been doing it 45 years. So he handles everything on the back end. And then he's been doing property management for probably 44, 45 years. And he's just got it down. Like he doesn't, it's, it's just him. I think he's looking at hiring a bookkeeper soon, but we do a lot of little things like, for instance, on, on paying rent, we give them pre-made deposit slips with mm, the toner yep. on them and they're, they're numbered just like a check number. So they get 12 at the beginning of every year. They go deposit it at the bank. The bank gives them a receipt. And then when we log in, we say, okay, number 104, that's such and such address. And then there's a, another little tip, which is we give a, a discounted rent. So let's say that market rent is 1200. Well, then our rent is going to be 1100 discounted. And what we do is the rent is 1200, but if they do three things every month, they pay on time, like the day that it's due, not in the grace period. If they do any minor maintenance, basically treat that hundred dollars like a deductible. So if the toilet leaks, yeah. they'll call me, fix it, and then change the air filter every month. Then they get that hundred dollar discount. Um, That's cool. Which seems to work out really well. People, I, I don't know what it is. They don't mind paying late fees, but you take a discount away from them and they are livid. <laughs> so how do you, how do you manage that process? I mean, like, how do you know they're going to change your air foil filter? Like, do you just assume that they are? I mean, do you just tell them that they are and they probably Mostly. are. Yeah. By the time we do all of our background checks and do, you know, a couple phone interviews and then meet them. And then a lot of times what, I like to do if, if it's possible is a pop-up inspection. So let's just say that somebody gets approved through the whole process. You've stalked them on Facebook, you've done all the background checks and they get approved. I mean, show up at their house because if their house is clean and neat and they take pride in it, that's the person you want. If you show up and it's just a disaster and it's missing doors and kids have drawn over all over the walls. And really you don't even have to most of the time. If you tell them that you're on the way, their reaction is going to tell you whether or not. You're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. All right. All right. So I, I have to ask you guys something. Our producer told me I need to ask. Apparently you have a super secret method for finding deals using Uber drivers in your service. Can you tell us a little bit about this cutting edge technique that you guys have developed? <laughs> So that, that stemmed from me, right? So I, when I first got started in the business, I was traveling all the time. At one point in time, I did over 300 days in a hotel in one year. So I was traveling all the time, so I can't go driving for dollars. I didn't want to spend too much money on marketing techniques. I already, I already knew that mail was going to cost a lot if I wanted to do mail campaigns. So I was always stuck on cold calling, but I knew driving for dollars would be probably how I'd get my first deal. But I wasn't there. And so what, before I got into real estate, I was in South Carolina with my now wife. Uh, she was in law school there. So I when I was home, I might be home for a week, might be home for two weeks. I would drop her off at school, turn my Uber on and just, you know, Hey, if I make a few extra bucks and pay the truck note, that's great. Whatever. I'm just going to kind of do it for fun. A little bit of side money. It's better than staring at the walls. So I created a Uber Facebook group for South, for uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And lo and behold, people started finding it, joining it. And it was just really just kind of a network, talk about events that were coming up. I didn't really put much attention or time into it. Didn't think much of it until I got into real estate. And I went, there's over 300 people in this group. All they do is drive around. Like They could be sending me leads. They're driving around neighborhoods. Yeah. They could be sending me pictures of properties and the addresses. And I can research them on the back end and start calling these lists that they're sending me. 
and schedule appointments for when I'm going to be home. So that's what I did. I just went into these Uber groups and started going, Hey, would you like to make an extra $500 doing what you already do? Uh, message me for more details. And then I would get probably like 10 or 15 people that would be all over it. And I would, out of that 10 or 15, you'd really only get like one or two people that would really take it seriously. Yeah. They were like, they want to get paid up front. And I would have to explain it to them. Like, you know, I get paid by once I close on the deal. So they had to put a little, little bit of trust in you. Right. Once I got that first girl though, they were every, it started becoming to the point where I was having like monthly meetings with my Uber drivers and, you know, buying them pizza and teaching them a little bit about real estate and how they can go out and get their own deals and everything else. So they were sending me those deals. And when I came here, I just, every time I hop into an Uber, it doesn't matter if I'm here or in a market, I don't even work in. I'm just like, Hey, you ever see any vacant houses while you're driving around? Like, you know, just houses, yards all grown up, roofs, you know, got tarp on it or anything like that. Start talking about it. So we actually, uh, one of our best bird dogs we have on my bachelor trip, we're, we're leaving, leaving a bar, going to the casino. And, uh, it's down here in, in, in Bluffs, Mississippi, which is the market that we work in. He picks us up and I immediately start talking about real estate and everybody in the car is like, Oh God, Brent's talking about real estate again. <laughs> I can't help myself. Turns out the guy had a few people that he knew that wanted to sell. Next thing you know, I started start telling him how he could help us and how we could help him. And within like two weeks, he'd already sent us over a hundred properties. Wow. I was like, man, this guy's crushing it. Right. So just, and it's not just Uber, right? It's, we talk about it all the time. It's like your inner circle I call it the three foot rule. Anyone that's going to be around me for more than a minute within three foot of me, I'm going to tell them what I do and how they can help me. That's great. That way, you know, I, I never, we, we never miss anything because there's always somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, so on and so forth. So that like circle of influence is huge, especially when you start telling everyone, you become friends with everyone and start telling everyone how they can help you and how you can help them. And it Secret. sounds yeah. crazy. Right. To, to do it that extreme. But I found that that's what has always created the craziest, best stories. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just like, I mean, stopping at a yard sale for crying out loud. We just did a deal last month that we got on terms, $1,200 market rent value on two properties that the lady forgot that she had because they were her husband's rentals. They've been empty for two years. She didn't want anything to do with them. And we bought it for $40,000 on terms with nothing down. Wow. $300 That's a month. And yeah. We rounded up to $300 a month. So she could try. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, you guys, see the yards for sale about the house. Yeah. She goes, Oh, no, I'm going to hold on to the house for a little bit longer. Uh, and then her friends laughed her and was like, what about those rental properties? Oh my gosh. I forgot all about those. You mean my <laughs> rental properties. Wow. All right. I, you call it, did you say the three foot rule? Yeah. Three foot I love rule. that. That's fantastic. That's really you can good. Touch them, talk to them. There you go. Yeah. I mean, and like you say, you know, the, yeah, that might sound crazy or extreme, but you know, what sounds crazy or extreme to me is working the same job until you're 65 or 70 retiring on social security. That sounds crazy to me. Yeah. So pick your crazy. And I, I like a crazy story. I mean, hey, yeah. half the deals we do, I'm just excited for the story to tell. I mean, it's gotten to the point where we can hardly go to lunch anymore without somebody coming up to us while we're at lunch. Like, oh, hey, uh, I got this house for you. Yeah. You're going to love it. It's over here. Like, so it's, it, cause it's you know, we're what, 150,000 people here in Hattiesburg probably? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not huge. It's not very yeah. big. So it feels small. Everybody knows everyone. There's not a ton of like popping lunch spots or anything. So when we go out, like, Usually there's always somebody coming up to us and 
they have a house or they have a situation or they know somebody that's in the situation. Yeah, that's really cool. Really, really cool. All right. Well, I want to, speaking of stories, I want to go into another story. And so the next segment of a show is called The Deal Deep Dive. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. All right, this is the part of the show where we dive deep into one of your particular deals. So hopefully you guys have some in mind and we're going to dive deep onto a, a number of different questions about that thing. So I'm going to just kick this off with what kind of property, but first of all, you have one in mind, correct? Yes. All it right. Was, what kind of property? Go ahead. There's two properties that make this deal that were acquired totally All right. different. All right. All right. That sounds uh, complicated, but uh, those are the best stories. So let's go. What kind of property or properties are we talking about here? Like, what is this? So one was a single family residence and the other was a mobile home on three acres. Um, okay. So the, what, what makes this interesting is it was a tax delinquent mail, mail out. The house was worth about $145,000. That's the ARV. They were asking $100,000. It was owned free and clear. Our maximum cash offer was probably going to be around $60,000. So what we did is we bought it for $100,000 on terms. You remember the, it was $10,000 down. Yeah. $10,000 down and $500 a month at 180 months. Which for those that can work a calculator is 0% interest. Yes. That's, that's good. Okay, so how did you guys find this deal? It was a uh, tax delinquent and, and inherited property. It was on free and clear. So we uh, sent a mailer out. Okay, so sent a mailer out. They called you back, put it in your system, started working with them. And they, this, 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 now we're talking about the single family home here, right? 
yes. was all right. So you said your max offer was sixty k. Say that again, say that again real quick. What you actually? Well, let me let me just go through the question. So you said that's how you found it. So they originally asked uh, they were asking a hundred, and you said sixty k. Is that right? Yep. Max cash offer. Max cash, yeah. offer, max cash yeah. offer. Okay. So then how, in the negotiation, what did you actually end up with? T- tell us that again. So we ended up with a hundred thousand dollar purchase price with ten thousand dollars down. Okay. And five hundred dollars a month for one hundred eighty months. Yes. Okay. So that's where the zero percent interest came from. Okay. And now, how did you negotiate those terms? They gave her what she asked for. <laughs> she asked for a hundred grand. It was a drill. It was probably a two month process of because she called us and then like a lot of people do, we were the first ones in the door. So then once we said, Hey, you know, we're probably in that 60 range. She put it on Facebook marketplace and Craigslist. And there was probably eight or 10 other investors that went by and said that they were in that 50 to 60 range. So it totally validated what I said and what Brent said, but we're, we kept diving in, like, I wish there was a way we could figure it out, which we had it in the back of our minds, but we just kept, you know, oh, let's try to figure it out. Do you have any ideas? How can we pay a hundred and make this work? And then the last day when we got it locked up, because we knew that her, her two biggest things, right? She needed approximately $8,000 to move to Colorado and she wanted four to $500 a month to supplement her retirement. And so I think we called up and said, hey, Miss Wanda, I think we've got it figured out. And she goes, oh, you got an idea? And I said, I think we got it where you can get that hundred grand. We'll get you everything that you're wanting. And we can put this deal together and make it work right now. And, and she was all geared up about it. We had been working for a long time. She was already sold on the idea of moving, right? Because there's a lot of psychology from that after that first appointment. Yep. And so she, she had been ready to move for about four weeks at that point. And so it was one of those things that just, it checked her boxes and she pulled the trigger on it. All right. So you funded it with seller financing, essentially, correct? Yeah. And then what did you actually do with it at that point? Did you just hold on to it, rented it out? Yeah. Did the rehab on it. I think it's rented out for 1125, 1100, give or take a couple bucks. Okay. And then I'm curious, where does the mobile home come into play here? Because I'm going to explain that one. Okay. Right. So uh, cause the question was, what is the outcome? Like what happened next? But yeah, go ahead. So the, this is probably one of my favorite deals. There was so many moving pieces in this thing that it is, it's absolutely ridiculous. But basically what we did and this, and I love this story because everybody talks about, you know, well, we do deals this way. And then we have people that hear about how we do deals. They say, oh, man, you guys really think outside the box. And the the point of this whole example is that there's not a freaking box. Like you can do whatever you can. You can imagine in your mind you can do it. Yep. While this deal was going on, there was it was a double wide that had been foreclosed on on two acres. There was an encroachment issue. So as soon as, and of course, a realtor sent it to me, he said, Hey, this one's got some issues. Maybe you can do something with it. Right. I mean, I don't know how we've turned into that, but apparently we're problems. <laughs> so they send us the deal. There's an encroachment issue. The original goal was to get the two acres in the mobile home and figure that out. Well, what we ended up doing was the, so you've got a two acre parcel and a three acre parcel owned by the same person. There's a double wide that's halfway on both of those. 
Mm. When the bank foreclosed on it, they took the double wide and the two acres, the three acres was free and clear, but it has half a mobile home on it. Oh, okay. So the bank is trying, they filed a Liz pendants. They're working on trying to actively serve this guy to try to get the three acres back. Well, we swooped in and bought the three acres for 3,500 bucks. <laughs> okay. But now the bank's got to deal with me. So that took about a year trying to negotiate with the bank. We ended up redrawing some property lines. We ended up with three acres. They ended up with two, but the double wide encroachment issue was taken care of. So we put a mobile home on that property that's paying us $200 a month lot rent. And there's another mobile home that we just put on there that doesn't have an occupant in it. We traded the three acres in the mobile home for the balance of the note on that $100,000 house. So when all the dust settled, we were in that house after fix up, rented out for $62,000. That was our cash out of pocket over the course of 18 to 20 something months. That's a lot of moving parts, but we got a smoking terms deal on a house. Yep. We smoking cash price on some land. And within a year after both of those were bought, a year to 18 months, uh, we ended up trading one for the balance of the other one. And we ended up in the house for $62,000. And I can show you, I need some some whiteboards, but I, I know it's going to say great yes. deal for that seller. That's, that's cool. And what, what's neat about this is, and that's what I, I try to convey to people all the time is like, there is no book that you can read. That's going to teach somebody how to do that. There no. is no podcast that you can listen to. That's going to teach somebody how to do that. Well, right. There like, well, there is now, right. That one specific <laughs> case. Right. But real estate's not about like, show me a blueprint and I'll follow that exactly because real estate is just, it doesn't work that way. It's too many variables. But what you guys have demonstrated is that you understand like the fundamentals, you understand how negotiation works, how different options are there. And you have a, a, the mindset of asking, how do I get this done? Not just saying, well, it doesn't fit with exactly what this book says, so I'm not going to do it. Right. And that's like a lesson I think people can take. I mean, there's a lot of good lessons from today's show, but that's one thing I really hope people walk out of today with this is like, just figure it out get it done because like there's so many ways to pull off these different deals. There's so many ways to turn milk into cheese that like they should be able to do this. I mean, anybody can do this if you're just like thinking, how do I do this? So yeah, kudos to you guys. You guys did awesome. Can I give one warning there to people? Please, please. I think it's very important. People hear about this creative stuff and it's a, it's a very shiny object. Yep. I think it's a valuable thing to have in your tool belt, but I don't think it's necessary. And I think people need to know that while we do get just insanely creative, that's just one of many, many deals we've done that you almost have to draw out on a whiteboard. Our go-to every time we go in somebody's house is a cash deal. Like we only do the creative out of necessity. That's it. All right. All right. I think that's, I think that's smart. So that was cool. Yeah, very cool. And I'm sure people are like, I'm going to go back and listen. I'm going to go back and listen to that again later. But I like, I always like the idea of when you can pull in a couple of different deals, like and kind of pull them together. I did a lot of cross collateralization is what they call it back in the day where I'd like take the collateral on this property and, and use that as my down payment on this property and kind of like connect everything together. And yeah, there's some fun ways to get creative there. But anyway, it's time to move on because we're almost out of time on today's show. But before we let you go, let's head over to the fire round. It's time for the fire round. 
right, time for the world famous fire round. Of course, these questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're gonna fire them at you guys right now. Let's go like this one. Hey, this is funny. This is actually from uh, a guy named Josh Dorkin from Denver, Colorado. He actually put this on the forums a few years back. I wanted to get a consensus about those who buy lists for marketing purposes. If you buy real estate lists like probate, absentee, properties with equity, et cetera, can you let us know like, well, what kind, I guess what your favorite list is that you're doing? Like, what do you get the most deals from? And then how often do you buy them? Do you have to like buy them every month or, you know, update your list every month or do you just buy them once a year? What do you think? Well, we very rarely buy any kind of list. That's right. Uh, Cause you go to the courthouse and just get it. Okay. We go to the courthouse and get it. I mean, why pay somebody else to get it two weeks later when I can just go get it anyways? No, uh, we don't buy any lists. And as far as favorite lists, so everyone asks that question. They're all my favorite. They all generate income. I don't look at it. I, I can get really granular with it if I wanted to and track, okay, if I send this many texts to this many probate, I'll get how much my response, you know, track all my KPIs on that stuff. I have an overall KPI that I'll, that's all I really care about. It's all working. And if you start trying to take it and getting, uh, get to the point where you're asking everybody well, who's their favorite list, like my favorite list is, you know, I like three foreclosures. I like, I mean, they're all the same list. There's no secret sauce out there. I mean, there's, there's people who talk about unknown equity and stuff like that when you start getting the list source and there, there's some crazy things and filters that people use. However, I'm hitting everybody that fits a certain demographic. I want, I know what my buyers want. So I'm hitting, you know, if they, if I have a buyer that loves three twos, I'm hitting every three two that's absentee owned, uh, absentee owned and absentee out of state. Right. So it's, it's really no favorite list. I don't have a favorite list. You have a favorite list. Whatever our last deal closed. That's <laughs> there you go. we close the next deal. I really, I, I'm same as Brent. I could not care less where a lead comes from as long as it comes in. Yeah. I'm listening or listening to the, uh, David Goggins was a guest on, uh, Joe, what's his name? Joe Rogan's podcast. So I was listen- yeah. I was listening to David Goggins. Who's like this, the fittest man on earth kind of guy. And Joe's they're t- having this conversation about people. I always ask them like, you know, what's your exact ro- morning wor- workout look like? Or what, what, how many hours do you rest every time? And he's like, he, he like jumps down their throat and he's like, it's not like, stop asking for a way out. Stop looking for these like little tiny tricks that are going to help you. He's like, get out there and just run, go put your shoes on and go run. Like just get something done. So if you're like sitting at home right now going, well, I don't know the exact list to mail to. And I'm not sure if probate's the right one or if I should like, stop, just stop asking that question. Like in the words of David Goggin, well, I'll use more PG language, but like, just go do something, try it. Right. Like get out there, like, like get working. Cause that's the most important thing. Not do I have the exact list exactly right. The way that these two guys are doing it. Right. That man's an animal. He, he is an animal. animal, but that's, I mean, that's my favorite quote from richest man in Babylon, right? Men of action are favored by the goddess of good luck. That's good. I don't remember that quote at all, but I love that book. I think it was chapter four or chapter seven. Wow. Deep. And by the way, if you guys ever, ever listen to this has not read the richest man in Babylon, highly recommend it. It is fantastic. That's probably one of my favorite books of all time. I, that's like the one book that I'll just read over and over and over and over. And yeah. every time I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's what I got to do. Yeah. There you go. All right. Question okay. number two. From Gabe in Austin, Texas. What factors do you look at when you're deciding whether you're going to flip a property or use it as a rental? Does it depend on the area that the property is located or the shape that it's in. Maybe you guys could look at this from the perspective of the person buying it from you. All of the above, really. So when we look at, at a property, I want to look at 
And, and I know this is always tough, right? Giving answers, but when there's no set mold, there's there's a lot of factors to go in. So we want to know what the school district is. If typically in our experience, the bigger the project, the bigger the difference between a rent ready rehab and a retail ready rehab are. So it might be that the house that we were just talking about, right? That we bought on terms for a hundred to make it retail ready would have probably cost us 38 grand to make it rent ready cost us a little over 17. So that's a, that's a very big factor. Cause that's, I mean, you're talking about a $20,000 difference in, in fix up cost. The other factor is going to be what kind of terms we're getting it on. If it's, and by the way, for those of you listening, all cash at closing is a term. It's just a very, very short term. Yeah. <laughs> But that's kind of what we look at. So we're going to look at, do we have to pay cash for it? What's the cash on cash return going to be when it's rent ready versus how much of a project is it? What can we sell it for? And what can we buy it for with cash? So then we'll try to weigh all of that out. And some of it even goes as far as, well, if we buy it for cash, we can roll in and make X number of dollars and split it 50-50 with our guy. Well, if we don't, if we do creative then it might be that we can go creative with the seller, but, you know, partner up for the rehab money and do a 70-30 split because there's a smaller amount of money coming to the table. So it really just, it all depends on all of those factors. And then we start figuring out where we can make the most amount of money. All right. All right. I like it. All right. Last question of the fire round. Comes from Frank from East Providence, Rhode Island. And this is actually one of the most popular threads on the entire site. There's more than a thousand replies in just the past few months on this. So I'm curious yeah. what you guys think. The question that he originally asked is like, it was a question to new investors who haven't yet taken action. What's holding you back? So I'll, I'll tweak that slightly in two different ways. One, you can answer it however you want. What held you back at the beginning? Like, why didn't you start earlier? Like, what were some of the things that fears that held you back or things that held you back? Or secondly, I mean, you guys network with a lot of real estate investors, a lot of up and comings, a lot of uh, newbies. What do you see holding people back? And maybe those are the same, maybe not. I know what my two are. Well, what held me back in the beginning is I had no idea there was this thing called wholesaling. If I'd known 20 years ago, I'd be dangerous right now. (laughs) Uh, But it, I didn't know anything about it. But I wasn't one of those people that I'm very quick to action when it comes to something I'm excited about, something that I'm passionate about. And as soon as Max kind of ran me through what he was doing, and I called Adam. He's like, oh, yeah, I've done it several times. So I have my proof of concept. I know that it works. It worked for them. It can work for me. So I immediately just I took about two months to just study as much as possible. So I was traveling all the time. So all I did was listen to podcasts, audio books, read books, whatever I could do to try to catch up because I feel like I'm so far behind everybody else. Yeah. So I wanted to just learn as much as possible for the first two or three months. And then as soon as I, I just set a date, okay, by this day, I'm going to go start getting on, going on appointments. I'm going to start calling. So in May of 2017, I said, all right, I got my list. I got some driver dollars list. I'm going to call these people where I'm in a hotel, take action and do it. So what I feel like most people's is, is, is their inability is analysis paralysis, right? Some people go for it too fast, too soon and mess up a lot of things. And that's okay. As long as it's not messing up the sellers. Because for us, it's all about, you know, Three, four being helpful. Situations yeah. and stuff. So that's really why we created the, the group that we have. But it's just, we want to make sure everyone's educated. But education and consistency is what I feel like most people lack. All right. Anything you want to add to that, Adam? I think, I think confidence because people haven't been through the whole process, they're terrified. I mean, essentially, you're telling them to start a race 
yeah. you're not mapping out where they're going. Uh, yeah. And that's a terrifying thing. But I, I think the the main issue even behind that is that like what we talked about before, you know, investing is a team sport and you get a lot of people that are so dead set on, I've got to do this on my own, but they don't have the confidence or the wherewithal to go through the whole process. So they just get stuck in this loop of, I don't know exactly what to do, but I won't reach out and partner with anybody. And so it's just this never ending spiral or cycle or whatever you want to call it, where it's just over and over you're, you're vacillating between those two things. Whereas like take Brent, for instance, when he first got started, I mean, you were straight out of the, just, I mean, as new as you can get, but he studied a lot on his own. And then what he wasn't sure of, he called and asked, you know, whether it was me or Max or whoever, he had people that he was hitting up and which you didn't have to, but would have been more than happy to split a deal with somebody or whatever the case was just to, to learn that process. I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. It's because they, they think giving up half a deal is losing money when really you're making half the deal to get educated. I can't think I'd have probably stayed in school if somebody would have offered me money to teach me something. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, last segment of the show, let's head over there. This is our famous four. All right. Before we get to the famous four, let's hear about what's going on this week over on the bigger pockets business podcast. Hey there, Brandon. We have a big name on our show this week. It is Jay Papazan. He is co-author of The One Thing and The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, among several other books. And our conversation focuses on controlling your time through strategic communication, networking, and delegation. Now, Jay has totally changed the way I approach communication in business. So we're going to deep dive on that subject. If you're interested, and you should be, subscribe to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast and check out the show on Tuesday. Okay, everybody, go enjoy your famous four. All right, let's get to this famous four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week, so we're going to throw them at you right now. Each of you can answer separately or together in one voice if you want to. I'm just kidding. Uh, number one, what's your favorite real estate book? Uh, mine would be uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad's What Got Me Started. All right. Invest in debt. Invest in debt. By Jim yeah, I don't even know that one. Um, if you want to no, just be prepared because it will absolutely Change screw your, your day up. All right. Invest in debt. I'm going to look that one up right now. The how-to book on buying paper for cash flow by Jim Napier. Oh, is that the one? Yeah. All That's right. It. I know Jimmy, Jim Napier. I know the name, uh, but uh, I have not read that Make one. Sure you get the red copy. The red cat. That's what I looked at Amazon. Yeah, it's a hundred and four dollars hardcover oh, on Amazon. GaryJohnston.com, and you can get it there for like twenty five bucks. Oh, yeah. nice. GaryJohnston.com. Yeah. Fancy. All right. Next question. What is your favorite business book? I like Play to Win. It's it's kind of a mindset, but applies I think just as equally to business. And it just instead of going the default route that most people go, which is playing not to lose. It, it really hones you in on every day you go out there, just leaving it all on the table and playing to win regardless of what happens. Hmm. All right. Uh, mine would be uh, traction. Oh yeah. You know yeah I got to, I got to read that one. Have you read it, Brandon? I started the first like, chapter and I wasn't Sorry. in the right. It's, it's all, it's all about systems. Yeah. It's I started it. 
Yeah, I, I started it. I was not in the right place yet to finish it, but I got to get there now because I feel like I'm better now. But yeah. The audio versions, I couldn't do the audio version. It sounded terrible like you were yeah. going through a bad breakup and you <laughs> weren't in the right, weren't in the no, right like, place. You got to be like, you know how like you got, you got to be like, your soil has got to be fertile, ready for that seed to be planted, right? Like it's got to be also, ready until more break, more breakup time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was not like, I was, I didn't have anybody on my team at the time. I didn't have like any reason to like, it really is about systems and, and building a team and being a good like leader. I didn't, at the time I didn't really have that. So like I didn't get into it, but now I'm like, man, I need to read this. Cause now I got like a team and I got people. So I'll get there. All right. What are some of your hobbies? So I like baseball. I'm a big uh, Major League Baseball fan. So I, I traveled. I've probably been to 27 stadiums and then just vacation. Actually, I drove up this morning from the beach. So just going to the beach, hanging out. That's really, I just enjoy it. It's relaxing. Uh, I like to fish on occasion when uh, when the time permits it. That's about it. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Yeah, and, uh, we do a lot of real estate. <laughs> we're passionate about it and we're obsessed with it. Almost That's good. I would say unhealthy obsession, but we enjoy it. Cool. All right. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I think just action. Well, what we were talking about earlier, right? With David Goggins. I think people really try to focus on how to do things the easiest possible way or try to figure out how to delegate everything, which is fine, but not from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. People don't, they don't put enough stock into to paying the piper. Um, and in my experience, everybody has to pay the piper and interest is pretty high. I'm right there with him. I couldn't have said that any better. It's good. It's good. That's going to make a nice little Instagram quote card. I like it. All right, guys, this has been fantastic. Like really, really fun. And you guys are just crushing it. Uh, I'm excited to see kind of the future of where you guys head with the text message thing. And uh, hopefully we didn't just make 250,000 people start doing text <laughs> messages for real estate deals. But you know, that's the case. I'm calling the guy and uh, tell him I need, a, I need a piece of the action. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, guys, tell us where can people find out more about you? So we do a weekly live Q&A on Facebook inside of our group. That's where we try to educate as many people as possible. It's 100% free. You can find us by going to Real Estate Roundup on Facebook. It's a group. Answer the three questions and we'll let you in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We do a live Q&A. And, um, Instagram. Instagram. He's Big Sip Real Estate. And I'm Mr. Sippy. M-I-S-T-E-R-S-I-P-P-I. Mr. Sippy, that's funny. Got it from my touring days. I'm pretty good. Boss called me that. All right. Well, thank you guys. This is some really good stuff. It is. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciated you guys uh, for having us on. We had a blast. Sorry, we didn't didn't cut as many jokes as I thought we were going to be able to. (laughs) Serious about real estate. I know. Who (laughs) thought we had a long conversation about real estate? Cows, and I missed the opportunity (laughs) to go ow now brown cow ow. Lanolin. And it's been sitting there this whole time wishing that you could get a chance to redeem yourself. And there you go. You snuck it in right before. There you go. Well, I, I kept waiting on the opportunity to say that's utterly ridiculous to talk about cows. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, dude. Guys, All thank right, you, thank very you very much. It's been fun. Thank, thank you, guys. you guys. This is David Green for Brandon Ready to Love Again Turner signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, 
you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.